Welcome to TechBound, where I have deep conversations with the best in growth. My guest today is SEO powerhouse and direct-to-consumer founder, Luke Carthy. Luke is an e-commerce consultant, founder of AfroDrops, and speaker at conferences like SearchLove, MozCon, SearchLeads, BrightnessEO, and many more. Luke and I cover topics like e-commerce SEO, starting a direct-consumer brand, and fat mistakes all dinosaur retailers make. If you like this episode, please consider giving it five stars or a thumbs up. Please enjoy my conversation with Luke Carthy. Three, two, one. Mr. Carthy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on. Hey, Kevin. It's an honor, man. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Took me a long time, uh, but eventually we made it happen. So I have a lot of admiration for the mission. And it's, it seems that a lot of hair products are not suited for people of color at all. Can you, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So it, it all comes down to a couple of things. So there's the sulfates and there's parabens. The sulfates are um, the things that go into shampoo that create lots of lather, lots of foam, right? And it's great because it's that whole kind of, you know, it's what you do. You wash your hair, loads of soap. Um, but for Afro hair and for textured hair, whether you're mixed race or black, or you can even be, you know, white Caucasian and have textured hair. So it's not exclusively a black thing, but um, products that are specifically suited to Afro textured hair are not typically available in supermarkets. Um, and it's a real shame because you also feel like, you know, not only have you got that stigma in school, you kind of like the odd one out and people touching your hair and stuff, but you can't then walk into a supermarket and go and get the products you need. Um, you have to go to a specialist, you know, a specialist shop, um, which is typically out of the way. You've got to make a special journey for it. And it's, it's very segregated. Now I have, conversations with people um, all the time. Well, you know, is the reason why they're not in supermarkets because there's no demand? No, that's, that's not the case, man. Like it's, it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar industry globally. Um, and if you look at the data and the research, you know, um, black women will typically spend three to four times more on hair care than, 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 uh, you know, European people with European hair would. So it's not a case of demand. And I fully understand that, you know, you've got you've got pockets of black people, you've got people maybe in certain areas and you would in other areas. All right, cool. So if you walk into a, an Asda, a, a Walmart or whatever it is that's near you, just because there's a lot of black people, there's not a lot of black, there's not a lot of black centric hair product there. So you can't then tell me this is about demand and supply. You have the people there. Um, I personally believe it's about a lack of diversity in buying teams. Um, and that's where the problem is. I have worked in the world of e-commerce pharmaceutical for a number of years. I worked in-house at, a, at the, the UK's largest online pharmacy. And it was conversations we had. Why don't we stock Afrocentric hair care? And the answer we always got was, it's not our field. We don't understand it. And it was, that is purely simply because of one ignorance, I think fear as well. Um, and not, you know, they don't want to buy the wrong products, but equally, I think it's just a lack of diversity in management, in, in buying teams to make those decisions. So there's, a, there's, there's not a single issue that causes it, but it's, it's definitely a problem. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge problem. You know, um, I was I was lucky to to. So I live in Chicago now. I was lucky to be educated a bit more about the the um, history of people of color here in Chicago. There, there's actually I, I didn't know this before, but there's actually like a, a bigger um, awareness about hair when it comes to um, Afro Americans and how disrespectful it actually is to to touch the hair of a, uh, of a person uh, of color, uh, especially as a white person. Um, so th there's a lot of 
ignorance. You know, I would call it my own ignorance. I don't think I can blame anybody else for that. Um, I think I, I think it's my own ignorance that I'm that I'm now trying to um, to 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 erase and to to get rid of. That's why I love I love the mission of your company so much it's because you you fight that yeah and i think the whole the whole touching hair thing i don't think it's necessarily exclusively you know rude or derogatory to black people i think it's rude regardless right the difference is you know if, if i came to i don't know for example kevin i'm going to go and put my hands all up in your hair it doesn't matter what color you are it's not a cool thing to do right now if like we talk about hugs we talk about you know, pats on the backs, we talk about kisses on cheeks and all sorts of stuff. There's, there's always that fine line. It depends on a number of things. Who do you, you know, who is that person to you? How do you know them? What's your relationship like? So the reason why I think um, we've got this, not stigma, but this connotation of don't touch black people's hair is because our hair is different. So a lot of people's first reaction is, oh, let me touch your hair. It looks really cool. Is that yours? You know, did you extend it? Is that you know, wow, it's so curly, it's so big. Let me just put my hands in it. And that's the difference. You know, I think putting your hand in anybody's hair is going to be rude. It's the equivalent of just reaching into somebody's handbag and saying, oh, you got in there. You know, it doesn't matter what race you are. That's just not going to be okay. But I think it's the fact that there's such a strong connotation of Afro hair and it being so unique and so different. Um, and that's what kind of triggers people to touch it. So it's almost like we're more sensitive, if you like, or more, uh, maybe not acceptable of, of that sort of behavior happening. It happens to my son now, you know, we'll walk into nursery um, or we'll walk into school and I've got teachers with his hands all, all up in his hair because he's really cute, right? He, my son is a really mm. good looking guy um, <laughs> and he's, you know, he, he has got glorious hair, but that doesn't necessarily give someone the excuse to put their fingers on a pin. Um, mm. But then it's kind of like we have another question where um, a lot of maybe black women in the workplace who are, who are wearing natural hair and they say, ah, oh, your hair is really long. Is that yours? And it's kind of like, first of all, like, why are you asking me that question? I've never asked you that question. Is it because my hair is different to you? But secondly, it, it's, it's a tricky one because we don't want, I don't personally don't want to be part of a situation where black hair is so difficult to talk about. No one wants to talk about it because everyone's scared of asking the wrong question. So for me, if you want to talk about Afro hair, listen, sit down, we'll have a beer. We can talk about it to the cows come home. Or we'll let you touch my hair as long as, you know, everyone's cool with it. But my point is I want to educate people. I want to help people to understand that first is a problem. Second, I'm bringing a solution. And third, you know, Walmarts, high streets, supermarkets need to be better at providing Afro hair care. And, and lastly on this, I think what's really quite telling is when I walk into my local supermarket and I've got maybe like eight feet uh, of, of shelves, um, three shelves high, which are full of vape liquids, right? Now, I'm just going to, you know, not everyone vapes, not everyone smokes, should I say, and even less people vape. But to have such a huge prominence of vape liquids, but to only have a single shelf of Afro hair care speaks volumes to me. So you can tell me that Afro hair care isn't in demand, right? But you, like there's more gluten-free naan breads and more gluten-free pita breads and all this kind of niche food, which is beautiful to see, by the way, and all these vegan foods. But you can't tell me you can have a really niche gluten-free product selection and even less Afro hair care products. It just doesn't stack up, you know? How is it? How's it going so far? Um, I, I checked your uh, organic rankings of AfroDrops.com because I'm, I'm an SEO and I see they're going all straight up. So it looks good. good from the outside. T tell us a bit about the journey. What was it like to start it and how it's going? Yeah. So I think, you know what? I was, I was massively on the fence about doing this because 
it's 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 a tricky it's a tricky one, right? Because I'm an e-commerce consultant, and of course, if this didn't go right, then it not only fails as a business, but it also kind of takes a huge chunk out of my reputation, what I've worked really hard to build. But equally, I think as an e-commerce consultant, and as anyone in in is a, in their professional space, whether you're a personal trainer, whether you are in the world of e-commerce, whether you're an SEO like yourself and myself, Kevin, it's like you always have to take yourself out of your comfort zone, right? Um, and I'm always been one to challenge himself. So if I believe in what I believe in, if I believe I'm good at what I can do, then this should be not going to be easy, but it should be doable. So I went away, I researched products, I looked for suppliers. Um, and I also tell you the supply chain in for hair care is frankly, it's, it's terrible. It's really, really bad. It's monopolized like heck, but that's a whole other topic. But, um, for the website, sales are going really well, to be honest. Um, they're still very early in the sense of, you know, it was never going to be a multi-million pound business overnight. But my initial launch plan was to launch, was to keep a really shallow stock of each SKU, um, but to have a wide variety of, of products. And the reason why I wanted to do that is because you don't want to launch an Afrocentric hair care store with barely any SKUs because it will just look like you're operating at your bedroom, right? Um, but equally, I didn't want to go and spend £20,000 or $20,000 or whatever on loads of stock for it not to sell. So the sweet spot was three things in stock of each line. But it's selling well. Most of my sales right now are coming through through paid search. Um, as you'd expect, there isn't much organic um, penetration in that regard at the moment. But yeah, I use a bunch of tools that I practice and preach, um, which is, you know, heat map, session recordings, a lot of custom GA stuff to really identify where I can constantly improve, where are people falling off? What can I do better? What are people searching for that they're looking for that I don't stock yet? What misspellings are they using? And um, in the world of Afro hair care, there is no standards. And what I mean by that is the word mask is a perfect example. You can spell masks in three different ways. Um, and just making sure all of those kind of granular search queries are all stitched together and you can always find the product you want. But super early days, it's been at the point of recording this, uh, approaching three months. Um, and sales that are around about, uh, to be transparent with you. So sales that are around about eight thousand pounds at the moment. So it's, it's not doing too bad at all. And what I want to do now is, is come back next year, reflect on what sold really well, um, clear out some of the lines that haven't sold so well. Um, and yeah, just be bigger and better for 2021, you know? You already mentioned a couple of topics about e-commerce growth that I want to jump into in just a minute, but, I don't want to end this conversation about Afrodrops without hearing a bit more about your long-term view. What is your mission for the brand? Or better said, what is your vision for the brand? Do you know what? Okay, so this is a really good question. I like that question because when I set up Afrodrops, I didn't want to build a business that was just about taking, you know, selling something at X or buying something at X and selling something at Y. I didn't want it to just be a purely monetary um, game, right? I almost kind of wanted it to be a charity, if you like, but one that's self-sustaining. So for me, the mission isn't just about buying and selling stuff. Um, it's about fundamentally educating everybody about Afro hair care. You haven't not got to be black for me to help you, right? Equally, you haven't, you know, I want everyone to kind of read my blog posts. I want people who are thinking of adopting, right? Um, who have recently adopted. I have a, a good friend of mine who I used to work with who recently adopted a mixed race girl and had absolutely no idea about how to care for her hair and, and you know, what she should do, what she shouldn't do, products to avoid. And we had a really good conversation about that. And that's the kind of thing that I want Afrodrops to be renowned for is 
you know, what should I do with my hair? This is the problem I have. What should I buy? I want it to be seen as a brand that not just sells product, but is able to help people fall back in love with their natural hair to not have to hide or, or, you know, be different or be forced to kind of wear hair a certain type of way. And I think to the, the kind of last point on this that I'll have is what was recently happened just this year. We're in 2020, right? We're in 2020 and, and I can't remember which courier it was. I think it was UPS or FedEx, but I'll have to fact check that. But they only just passed employment law in their respective companies where you, black people can wear natural hair in the workplace. But what, when I saw this, I didn't even realize it was a thing. But yeah, UPS or FedEx had something in their employment contract that said black people cannot wear their hair out. And I'm like, wow, crazy. So I want to be the company that can make that okay. I want to be able to help with that. It's still crazy. Wow. I know. My mind. I, I cannot believe that either. I mean, I do believe you, but I can't. You know what I mean? <laughs> At the yeah. same time, that is, wow. I, I As I mentioned, I moved to Chicago uh, over about half a year ago. And um, Chicago definitely has a different type of diversity than the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, I, was, I was able to... Um, get a much better understanding of people's situation here and systemic racism and how that flows through society in many cases. So it's good that this comes to the surface now and that it changes, but it's also crazy to think about how long it has taken in many cases. Yeah. 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 And there's still, there's still pockets of craziness out there. You know, there's still, you know, I can still walk into a supermarket and not find a single Afrocentric hair product, but then every now and again, I walk into an unexpected shop and I see quite, you know, an extraordinary range of products. It makes me smile, you know, because things are moving forward. So I know I come onto podcasts like yours, I have interviews and I'm talking and I'm, I'm almost seen as the guy who's moaning about the lack of X, Y, and Z, but I also want to accommodate the fact that there is progress being made, you know? Um, and I think it's important sometimes that we start to reflect and think, you know what, this time last year, we didn't have this. And it's good to see things moving forward rather than just constantly complaining is the wrong word, but identifying what's not there. Um, sometimes it's good to see, you know what, last year we only had uh, three products. Now we've got 30, you know, it's still not right. We should still have an equal, you know, an equal amount. But yeah. And I think if, if anyone in the world of e-commerce um, or anyone who's a buying team, who's, who's listening to this and, and is kind of thinking, do you know what? Okay. Do you know what? Luke's got a point. Can I just, you know, say that products that are friendly for Afro hair don't have to be exclusively friendly for Afro hair. You know, there's loads of shampoos and conditioners and hair products out there that are neutral across the board, right? Whether you've got European hair or not. And I think that's what makes it, you know, that's the conversations that buying teams need to be having. If you don't want to go and stock specific Afrocentric products because you don't have, um, you're in an area which isn't predominantly black or you haven't got a lot of black people on your, on your census data. Cool. Then let's work on a compromise. Let's introduce a range of products that exist on the shelf that are suitable for all hair types. That is definitely better than just stocking something that basically is ignorant to, to Afro hair care. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm glad that you're putting yourself out there to, to you know, create that awareness even outside of your own brand. Speaking of Afro drops, I'm, I'm curious how you look at an e-commerce brand and think about growth in general. So you already mentioned uh, topics like internal search. I know you're very big on internal search. Maybe that's a good good way to jump in. So the specific question I have about that is how do you mine data from internal search and how do you find the wins in that data? Okay. All right. This is a really good question. So 
for me, um, internal search is probably one of the places I start because I think the differences between SEO and, and, and growth specifically or, or, convert, or CRO, shall we say, is SEO, SEO, of course, is all about acquisition. And this is very, um, I get that I'm kind of brushing everyone the same way. And SEO has many different flavors and stuff like that. So I can already see the SEO trials. We're like, what is going on? What's talking about? But, you know, if we looked at skill sets fundamentally, and uh, we distilled those down, SEO is about growth. CRO is about conversion optimization, right? So for me, the hybrid model, in my opinion, is internal search. It's smack bang in the middle. It's the best of both worlds. So the thing that I like to do first is identify the top X search queries. And that could be 10,000. It could be 100,000. It depends on the size of the site. Um, but I like to take anything that has, say, you know, a year's worth of search queries, anything that has maybe more than 100 queries, and do custom extraction against every single search query. So what that will then do is give me a number of a number of data parameters to play with. One is how many results were returned. Um, two is what was the first result, or if I really want the first 10 results, if you've got pagination involved. Um, and three, you know, it then allows me to understand the performance and the quality of the results returned. So the first thing I then go look at is for all those queries, which ones are showing no results found? They're the quick wins, right? And a lot of the times they're misspellings and it doesn't matter. Like I've played with so many different search engines, enterprise level, eye-wateringly expensive um, search products that promise the world of machine learning and AI and all this clever stuff. But look, computers are computers, right? They can't replace humans yet. I might eat my words in another couple of years. Um, but I've also played with out-of-the-box Shopify, uh, out-of-the-box WooCommerce, out-of-the-box Magento, whatever, and they all make mistakes. No search engine is perfect. But the quick wins are normally um, misspellings or non-commerce centric queries. So I did um, analysis of Best Buy. I think there were at the time, I vaguely remember it was like I managed to identify a bunch, like, I don't know, 6,000 search URLs that were in the index and I just pulled those. Um, and there was, there was queries like customer services and returns policy um, and questions like how do I X and how do I Y? No results found or completely irrelevant results found. So they're the quick win straight away because although they're not directly driven towards conversion, they help with service, they help with um, brand affinity and just kind of allowing customers to better find what they're looking for. Next step in is definitely misspellings. So I've seen search engines that cannot work out spaces. You know, you put a space in the wrong place and it blows up. And worryingly expensive search engines that are, are falling over on the basic. So, you know, if you sell, I don't know, packing materials and you type in packing materials as one word, um, it can blow up sometimes. And I've seen not, not results from like just crazy. And then you've got maybe like 30,000 searches a month for that particular uh, internal search term. You fix that. It's like quick win, right? Laughing all the way to the back. Um, but then I think last but not least, it's that time where you need to take because search results have been returned but you need to make sure that the first page of results, more importantly, the first two or three results are the best products for the queries. Um, so just because you search for shampoo and you've got results found doesn't necessarily mean that you probably shouldn't even see products in the first place, right? Because if someone's on your site searching for shampoo, there's a chance that you sell probably, I don't know, 50, 60, maybe even a couple hundred different products. I shouldn't be expected to see a list of eight pages of shampoo. I should see a gorgeous, merchandise you know who are you buying for kids 
Afrocentric, coloured hair, um, you know, whatever it is that you're looking for, all of that good stuff. Um, men's, and then you offer a bespoke shopping experience. Uh, let me ask this way. Who have you seen? What, what brand have you seen with an amazing internal search function? Or who's kind of the best practice that you're going for in the space? Do you know what? I really like, um, I really like Boots. But even then, they're, they're not perfect. But um, Boots, I think, are really cool. ASOS do really well. Um, I think ASOS, I don't know if this is still the case, but they had a really cool way of addressing queries that were non-product-centric. So again, if because obviously in the world of fashion and apparel, they're going to have a huge amount of returns, whether you like it or not. People order in multiple sizes and then send three of the four sizes they're holding back. Um, so if you started searching for a question, it gave you um, some like, what do you call them, like predictive results for particular questions, particular bits of content you can go and check out. So I thought that was really quite clever. A lot of people aren't doing that. But Boots know their field. They work in healthcare. So you can search for symptoms. You can search for problems. You can search for products. And there's always good content delivered. Um, so they're, they're two people in the field that I think are doing it really well. Speaking of best practices, I'm very curious about your opinion of new e-commerce marketplaces or even DTC brands that are killing it at the moment, um, that, are like really, that are really hot. And also, um, I'd love to hear a take on what they do well and why they're so successful. Yeah. All right. This is a really good question. So DTC, um, one of the, you know, one of the brands that I thought I'd never, I'd never been in a situation where I ever see DTC, uh, is, is Heinz. It kind of like, you know, peak pandemic, right in the thick of it. Everyone was fresh to it. Everyone thought it would blow over in about six weeks back then. And, um, Heinz just knocked up this incredibly simple, but really effective Shopify, um, front end for a bunch of their best-selling products tomato soup was one of them all the sauces you know all the stuff that you buy going into winter right but what was glorious about that is the fact that you know i think before the pandemic had happened you'd have you'd sit in the boardroom you'd have rounds and rounds of infinite meetings about complexes and team sign-off and finance need to sign this piece of crap contract that means nothing. you know what i mean like you've just got this horrible bureaucracy of nonsense that you have to go oh, through yeah. to get a simple change on the contact form. And then Hive right. just basically put their middle finger up to all of that and just went, boom, Shopify site, two weeks, we're selling online. What are you going to do about it? It was, it was brilliant because I use that as a case study every single time I get a blocker of something pathetic, which is not a tech issue. It's a people problem or it's a politics issue. We can't do that because X, Y, and Z need to sign off A, B, and C. Now, You don't. It's really simple. Like I could before this meeting's even over, you could be selling online. And I think that's a really it's a real kick in the teeth and a real wake up call that it doesn't matter how big you are, how big your ego is, how big and bold you think your company is. If Heinz, one of the oldest companies probably in, in, in the world who work in food, can smash an e-commerce site in next to no time, what's your excuse? <laughs> so I, I love that. That's always my better. Yeah, speed, speed, speed. Nothing beats speed in these days. I mean, the the pandemic couldn't be a better example. I also want to get your take on the pandemic and and how that has changed e-commerce. Um, is, is but before that, is there a a new player on the scene that you see coming in and just crushing it left and right in in any particular space in the world of e-com? Yeah, yeah. So no doubt you and I are probably on the same page with this, but I think fast payments are working on something incredible. 
I cannot wait to fast forward 12 months from now and see what the hell Dom and team are doing. I think they created a solution to a problem that was so broad that no one ever knew it was even there. Like it was hidden in plain sight. Everyone's kind of got this habit of, you know, uh, pulling out your wallet, punching in card numbers, um, you know, or or go, or I guess advancements were Google Pay and Apple Pay and all that sort of stuff. But Fast just went, no, we, we can do better than that. They brought Amazon's kind of like model of not even having to look at a single form of payment and just hitting buy now and bringing it to the masses. And I think that is awesome. I'm actually speak in conversations with Fast right now to get that on Afro Drops as fast as possible. Um, because I love it. I adore it's almost too easy and I can fully see having it like accidental orders, but they do have this really cool system because I, I had a full on demo and I thought this is going to be too easy. Surely just one click and it's done, but you get like a five minute cancellation window. So if you do accidentally do it, you can, you can back up the order and make sure you're okay. But I think they're brilliant. Also Stripe as well. Stripe aren't particularly new. Um, but again, they've just kind of done what Heinz did to DTC. They've gone, you know what HSBC, you know what WorldPay, you know what SagePay, move the heck over. If you ain't going to be fast enough, then we'll just fill that gap, right? And, and funny enough, I actually approached, um, when I was setting up Afro Drops, I approached Braintree because I really like Braintree. I think they're, you know, PayPal company, um, sort of got, they've got the street cred, they've got all that, all that cool stuff, all the trophy cabinet, but it's not PayPal. So it's kind of, bundled in with it, but it's it's separate. And they have really flexible payments. I was like, okay, Braintree, that's cool, let's do it. Sent out the form, had this this bloke from, I don't know, fraud team or whatever, contact me. There was emails back and forth for about a week. And at that point, I'm like, wow, this is hard. Like, I could probably apply for a mortgage quicker than I could get a bank, a merchant account, ready to start accepting customers' money. So someone told me about Stripe. I just threw them out because I just assumed because they're super convenient, it's going to be super expensive. Wrongly made that assumption, by the way. Their fees are actually more than fair. And within 24 hours, I was up and running, ready to take money. So I think any company that can take a real old school problem that no one ever realized was a problem until someone goes, this is a problem, um, is, is going to smash it. These infrastructure providers, they, they just have it coming right now. And of course, COVID is a massive um, accelerator of those trends and of, of their success, not that exclusively, but it certainly helps. Yeah. And so yeah. we, we all know that that the COVID pushed an ungodly amount of people towards e-commerce and ordering things online. Um, b- beyond just the simple growth of e-commerce, what other trends have you seen COVID bring up in e-commerce? Um, you know what? I think I have seen... So if we think about the business side of things rather than the consumer side. So I think that, you know, the consumer side gets a lot of love. There's a lot more data. You can easily go to Google Trends and see what people are looking for and that sort of stuff. But what it's certainly changed on, on, on the business side is it's do or die, right? You either move with the times and you get out of the way. So, you know, I have seen a, a butcher who has probably done the same thing day in, day out, six days a week, woke up at six in the morning, gets produce out, you know, streamlines of stuff. At the, uh, at the pointers on the high street, get people in and he's, you know, he's cashing out at the end of the day with his pockets full, stuck up. And of course, no footfall anymore, right? So COVID hits, no one's going out. And of course, if this, this guy's probably got, I don't know, maybe two weeks to do something before he has to, you know, shut shop. Long story short, he's now offering, so kind of like gusto sized boxes of meat and fish, um, for the week. 
and he's now delivering these via subscription boxes and like, you know, people can just go and buy like, I don't know, six chicken breasts and, and whatever it is. You know, if it's Easter, you go and buy that. If it's, if it's Christmas, you go and buy turkey. Like he has gone from 1960s, yell he, yay he, bell kind of in the street to modern cutting edge technology within next to no time. And I applaud companies that can do that. I've even completely forgotten what the hell your question was, just thinking about having something to eat. So I apologize, but. Uh, yeah, no, you're what, good. Tell me what the question was again. I forgot, and I'll wrap that up for you. You're good. Good. You you, you already answered uh, part of it, but I was just curious about <laughs> the <laughs> the other implications of COVID on e-commerce besides just the growth of e-commerce as an industry. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think that's it. I think it's adaptability, right? But um, one of the things that I'm definitely going through right now as someone in the UK is uh, supply chain is a beast of a problem right now, and it was a beast of a problem because of COVID. But then we're in an even worse situation because of Brexit. So I cannot tell you the amount of emails I've had from my 3PL provider. For anyone who's listening, wondering what the hell 3PL is, third party, third party logistics. So I would be a man who is on the edge if I had to pick and pack all my own orders. So I leverage a company that does all that special stuff for me, which is awesome. But I get loads of emails from them telling me that there's a lot of things that they're not sure about. There's paperwork I need to do because, you know, if you send this to Europe on the right side of, of the EU, it's going to cause grief. But equally, there's a 48-hour window where apparently the world's biggest delivery couriers, so DHL is one, FedEx, I think, is another. Long story short, they're cancelling all their road freight. It's all gone because they don't know in that 48-hour period between the 31st of December and the 1st of Jan whether they'll be allowed to cross the border and how long they have to wait. So if you're a company that imports and exports to Europe, you have a 48-hour window where you just don't know if you're going to get your stock. So supply chain was a mess because of COVID, and now it's even worse because of Brexit. So I, you know, hats off, and my thoughts are with everybody who is in the midst of that hot mess right now. But it's underestimated, right? You get a lot of people who pick up the phone and think, I ordered this two weeks ago. Where is it? Look, no one's doing this on purpose. It's just how things are going. But I would say to businesses, don't overpromise. Like, don't promise you're going to get something by a certain date unless you've physically got the stuff with you. Um, because it's just going to burn you. It's going to burn you so bad. So unless you physically have the stock in your warehouse or infrastructure, don't promise to get things delivered by a certain date. It can be tempting because you get the cash in the bank. It helps you, but it's going to kill you to the side when customers complaining that they've ordered a Christmas gift. It isn't here. What the hell? Yeah. And I think that trust and reliability is becoming more and more important in a, in a world that is so uncertain right now. You also wrote an, a blog article recently in which you mentioned a couple of product categories that you see potentially flourishing in the future. Can you, can you give us your hot take on that? I could, but I'm trying to remember what the hell I wrote about. <laughs> <laughs> I think home and garden was one of them. All right. Uh, All and right. a couple of similar ones because people spend more time at home. Yeah. So I think what I guess we're talking about this at the, I'm not going to say the other end of COVID, but we're in a different level of COVID now. So if you think about the first wave of COVID, you've kind of got unemployment, um, you've got harsh lockdown, you've got severe boredom, schools are closed. Um, a lot of people didn't know what was going on. And I've got to be honest, I think in my mind, what's going to happen first is people are going to kind of hold onto their catch and think, I'm uncertain about what's going on, so I'm not going to do anything. Well, then boredom strikes, you've got nothing else to do. Your kids are running around your ankles. You've got to go and do something. So people start investing in crafts, gardening, and investing in their home. I am not so sure that COVID 
this time around is in like tier four and tier three in the UK is going to result in the same kind of buying because I don't think people are going to be making impulse purchases anymore because COVID isn't now hot and fresh. It's not brand new. We've kind of had some experience with it. So my thinking is, especially in the UK, I can only really speak from, from the UK because of, again, Brexit, people are going to be investing money into things like Tin Foods, right? Martin Lewis, who's like the guru of finance in the UK, has specifically told people to go out and buy loads of stuff. That's, you know, food, tin foods, things that's going to stay safe. So I can't, and it's also, it's also winter now. It's cold as hell. So no one's going to be ordering gardening stuff. So I, I really can't call it, but I'm going to say food, kind of cheap comforts, you know, kind of like artisan chocolate and really expensive luxury you know, stuff like that, I can see really blown up. And I think, I don't know if you see it your side, but the amount of people in the industry who have sent people unexpected and random, but really appreciative, like hampers, gifts, alcohol, it's gone for the roof. I mean, I've never been, been a consultant before, you know, last Christmas I was employed. So maybe it's a bit different, but so many more people are grateful. And I think it's those small luxury, you know, sub 50, sub a hundred dollars, hundred pounds gifts that are really going to spin up momentum but i think everyone's going to be putting down the, the garden stuff the decorating stuff because it's cold as hell it gets dark by four but I'd equally there is um and you may have heard of this again primark is a, is a pretty strong european brand i think you might have, have one or two across the us but the ceo of primark said e-commerce is a fad basically i'm, I'm paraphrasing here but he said that you know the e-commerce boom we're in right now isn't gonna isn't gonna last like it's just gonna it's gonna die out and i'm like geezer me and you're in the same room i tell you <laughs> but um my my point here is i don't think e-commerce is going anywhere i think if anything e-commerce is probably your revolution i personally think and this is really far-fetched here i've had time to collect my thoughts i mean my you know, isolation but i think you know companies like fast Companies like Shopify, there's going to be a lot of stuff hopping up between Amazon and Shopify, nipping at each other's heels. I genuinely think there's going to be one click everything eventually. Online shopping right now is a bit of a faff. If you want to order your food online from a supermarket, it's a pain. You still need your shopping list. Um, you still need to add things to the basket. You've still got to weigh out whether you want 100 grams or 100 kilos or something, which is really easy to get wrong. Um, there's still a lot of granularity when you shop at Walmart online or Waitrose online, whatever it is you do. So someone will come along and work out this crap in the middle and churn out something sexy. It's going to happen. I don't know when, but that's where I think things will take off. Um, you know, been in a situation where like Instagram shops or Facebook shops, stuff like that, we've got agnostic e-commerce. That's going to happen with supermarkets at some point. It's, it's you know, live shopping. We've already seen, um, I forget where it was. Is it Walmart that have just signed a deal with TikTok um, about doing like QVC style shopping, but like yes. via live stream? Just like all of this stuff is all being born out of huge ramps in e-commerce. So I just see lots of this innovation in this space. Yeah, I'm I'm 100 there with you. I'm also very very bullish on e-commerce in general. I mean, it, it makes sense, right? I I just joined Shopify, but also just in general, you know, it's it's these little technological advances that. I think will have a huge impact. For example, a couple, I think two or three weeks ago, I was laying on the couch and all of a sudden my Alexa device was going off. 
And she said, hey, Kevin, you're ordering this protein powder every month, typically around this time. Are you out of protein powder? And I was like, I actually am. Let's order something. Like, let's order a new a new batch. And, she's, yeah. and she added to my card. It's just these kind of convenient advances similar to one stop, uh, sorry, one click uh, checkout that I think would just drive so much more um, besides the, 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 the push from COVID and, and so on. But there, there are big, big advances, as you said. Uh, and how could you not be, how could you not be bullish on that? Yeah, I think, I think any company like Primark, it's going to be really interesting to see Primark and Tarkins because I do genuinely think that they're either going to have to sink or swim. You know, Primark can't hold onto the high street forever. And there's always going to be people that want to go to the high street, but they are in diminishing numbers or they're a small amount of numbers. They already said they've got something like, I can't remember the exact number, but they've got like a billion dollars or billion pounds worth of stock that's just sitting around that they can't ship because it's been closed for half the year. Again, I'm looking at shampoo here because I've got some stock for a photo shoot in my house on the table right now. But like, <laughs> it's not like shampoo where it's got ridiculously long shelf lives. You either sell it or you have to hold on to it until a year from now. And even then, there's no guarantee that what you bought now for this spring or summer is even going to be in demand next spring or summer. I just can't see why. You know, what are they scared of? That is it infrastructure. I've got a feeling it's either politics, it's normally politics, or it's infrastructure. There's some legacy ass crap they've got in there. They don't measure their stock properly. And as a result, they can't, you know, they can't make e-commerce because they don't know how much of stock or whatever. But I just can't see how a business in the world of fashion has refused to be online in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. It just doesn't make sense. Um, I'm not saying kill the high street. I'm not saying close your stores. I'm just saying be, be omnichannel, right? Be agnostic. Play in the same fields that your competitors are playing in. Like supermarkets sell clothes, man. You could just. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah i i know you wrote an article about that on your blog which of course i'll link to in the show notes uh but it's 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 real i don't i don't get it it reminds me a bit on barnes and noble versus amazon when amazon came up and barnes and noble was like yeah nobody's gonna shop books online yeah. uh and that that you know that didn't age well um but i do remember about 10 years ago uh pretty much at the beginning of my career i was working for a consultancy in germany and we were doing SEO consulting for the biggest publishers in Germany. Like we had almost all of them on our contract and we were doing a lot of reporting for them. So um, I, part of my job was to do uh, reporting for publishers and I was seeking out some of the keywords that gained the most uh, traffic in the last month and week and so on. Yeah. And I remember when Primark launched in Germany, it was that the, the search demand behind Primark was crazy crazy unbelievable i was i remember that because i was looking through the reports i said what is primark what is that and then i googled and i said oh, okay it's a it's a it's a fashion brand super popular and something like that not being to to me it's it, it's painful to watch yeah. because it's it's uncapitalized um uh, uh money right they're, they're basically leaving money on the table exactly this is this is the problem and i think i absolutely hear you on that and i, I just don't understand it i'd love to be in the boardroom with Primark execs and go, do you know what? I'm not going to argue with you because it's pointless, but can you just tell me why you believe it wouldn't work? I just, you know, that's the question I would love to ask. I would pay good money to sit in a boardroom or sit in a virtual boardroom with the Primark execs and just go talk to me. Tell me why you think it won't work. I don't know if, how big a 
um, a technological advancement this is outside of the UK, especially as I don't travel this much nowadays. But um, scan and go, like the whole thing where you become your own um, till on wheels, right? So you pick up your trolley, you pick up your scanner, scan it, and then put it in the basket. And then the idea is you get to the till, pay for it all at the end, and there's no real interaction um, with members of staff. It's just you put what you want in your basket. But it's all attached to your account, right? There will be a point at some point, if not already, where that data identifying how much of an item you put in, how you scan, the routine you take when you walk into supermarkets, you know, optimizing the routes that they put into like all of this data they have. They have exactly what you scan first, what you scan last, what you scanned in between, what you didn't scan that they thought you like all of this data. So imagine someone building, and I'm not, I wouldn't surprise me if all the, the supermarkets are working on this, but a data center which took all this information and personalized it in a way that connected with, I don't know, as you said, Alexa, Google Home, and just saw repetitions in your behavior, saw your seasonality behavior and sent you triggers, alerts, pre-built baskets for you and just said, hey, this time last Easter, you celebrate, you know, you bought X, or we saw that your spend increased by 60% because you were celebrating Easter. So we've already pre-built your basket based upon stock, based upon what we think you'll like this month, based upon what you bought last year. Boom, like personalization of the highest order. Um, We've reserved these items of stock for you, and you just need to now go to the till and pick them up. Based upon, do you know what I mean? Like, there's so much sexy stuff in the world of e-commerce that can happen. And if there's anyone that's going to do it, it's going to happen when the lights are all on e-commerce, which of course is what is happening right now. So, yeah, Primark just need to hurry the hell up, man, or just <laughs> just pay me to do it. You know, if anyone from Primark is listening, just let's just have a conversation, right? And just let's just see how we can make it work. We'll, we'll get Kevin on Shopify like Plus. We'll, 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 we'll work something out. What happened? <laughs> they totally should. They one hundred percent should. That would be that would be a baller move. Imagine that. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope it for you. I think there's no better place to to wrap up our conversation. I love that the kind of uh, take on the future. Uh, we touched a lot of good ground, but I don't want to end the conversation before telling people where they can find and follow you. Yeah. So you can find me pretty much anywhere. I've got a fairly unique name. So Luke Carthy. Um, is is pretty synonymous with myself right now. So Google me, Mr. Luke Carthy on Twitter, LukeCarthy.com. My DMs are open, right? So if anyone's got any questions, whether I know you or not in the world of e-com, if you need any help as to where to start, um, if you've got a problem, then just reach out, right? I'm, I'm only human, so I'm not going to respond in like half an hour. But my point is, whether it's Afro hair care, whether it's e-commerce, I'm passionate about both and I love to help people. So feel free to reach out. If you've got any questions about what myself and Kevin have spoken about today, then hit me up, you know? I want people to talk to. It's COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so you heard it. Uh, hit Luke up, LukeCarthy.com. Of course, make sure to also go to AfroDrops.com, uh, support uh, Luke and his mission. And Luke, thank you so much. That was incredible. And I wish you all the best for the future. Yeah, cheers. Yourself too, Kevin. Thank you very much for having me on. Three, two, one.